This week on the Vergecast, Alex Kranz and Sean O'Kane join the show. We talk about Rivian, the new electric car company that just had one of the hottest IPOs ever. We get into buttons and links, of course, and we talk about some Microsoft news that's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hello and welcome to Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Zune enthusiasts. <laughs> There's one of you out there who saw the photo. Explain the joke. There's 35 more. If I get, if I, if we have the numbers right, which we don't because podcast statistics are bad. But according to those statistics, 36 of you are listening to this show on a Zune. And we're very proud of you. And one of you sent us a photo. The rest of you sent us a photo. We're very into it. Anyway, I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I am actually, I am the host of a run of special Tuesday Vergecasts that I hope you're listening to. We just did over an hour on USB-C. And uh, <laughs> next week, we've got a really cool subject to talk about. <laughs> wow, Dieter. Absolute hype. I'm yeah. so hyped now. I was going to say that, you know, we've we've often used the second episode of the Vergecast to pilot formats, right? We like piloted an interview show that became Decoder. Ashley did a, a mini series about AI. Dieter was doing holiday spectaculars. Yeah. Right? That's USB-C. But now instead of teasing another one, you're like, a cool subject. No, it's a really cool subject. Is it refrigerators? Freezers. Our, our listeners machines. understand what I'm getting at, even if you don't. <laughs> All right, I believe you. Alex Kranz is here. I'm still trying to figure out what an NFT is. <laughs> <laughs> Who would send? And Sean O'Kane is here. I am telling Alex Kranz to go to our website to read our very good NFT explainer. Oh, I'm the only one who hasn't read it in the whole world. That's definitely true. <laughs> you and the Zune owner. <laughs> <laughs> They're desperately trying to. I will tell you this. The incoming traffic to our NFT explainer. It is now like maybe the, the sixth or fifth most popular article in Verge history because so many people are confused about what NFTs are. They just are landing on that page every day. Just every day. It's like every day it's one of our top stories. And we keep updating it because it keeps changing. But it is it is very entertaining. And it's probably a signal that we need to do more coverage there. We just all have to stop laughing. Every time. Like it's it's hard. We're going to get there. We're going to do it. I believe in it. We've actually got a, an NFT decoder episode coming up that I think it's a cool subject. Huh? Uh, it's, yeah. not, it's not the same. No, the, the joke is it's a really cool subject. Oh. Oh. oh, my God. All right. <laughs> We're off to a, a rollicking start. A lot to talk about. There's uh, some news from Apple and Epic that we need to get to. There's a bunch of Microsoft stuff going on, but Sean is here. 
because there's a new car company, like a big deal car company. It's about, it's having a moment and it's a good time to just like talk about what's going on in cars. The EV revolution is like in full early swing. I would say you might notice car company keep car company CEOs keep coming on decoder to convince me that, you know, they're going to be good at batteries. It's true. But Rivian just had its IPO. Rivian, if you haven't been keeping track, is a new electric car company. They make what's the R1T is the pickup truck. The R1S is the SUV. They are now worth more than Ford and GM after this IPO. They've not shipped one car. <laughs> Sean, what is going on with Rivian? They've started shipping the first few pickup trucks. Where those exactly went? You know, did they go to employees? They, they have a couple out there, but yes, in appreciable quantities, they haven't started shipping. Uh, Rivian is, you know, in many ways, it's a new company, but it also really isn't. It was founded in 2009. The founder isn't, you know, a, like a, this super brainy guy who, you know, you think back to 2009, it was that first sort of big clean tech boom. And he was looking at Tesla and wanted to do something similar. Uh, and they actually originally set out to make an electric sports car that was kind of similar in some ways to the Tesla Roadster. And, you know, as Tesla proved, that was an extremely hard thing to do, even in Tesla's case, where it was basically borrowing the Lotus Elise to build off of. And so this founder, RJ Scaringe, eventually decided uh, a couple years down the road to pivot it to something a little more focused, uh, you know, a, a brand, an electric vehicle brand that was more about adventuring, outdoorsy people, affluent people who are interested in those things. And it, you know, at the very least, like to think that they're outdoorsy and, and had, has likened it in the past to uh, wanting to become like the Patagonia of EV makers. Uh, and even to the point that they even have a, a Patagonia executive on their board. <laughs> Can I just say like, that's a good, it's a, it's, that's all good. It's also just from a more abstract business sense trucks and SUVs are the biggest market. Right? Sure. Right. It's like remarkable that Tesla is a success selling sedans. Biggest market and also make the most money for automakers. In the case of an EV startup, you know, that's not necessarily going to be true right away. But what that gives you is, you know, the biggest cost is the battery. The higher you, you know, the more money you charge right out the gate, the more you can absorb that cost of the battery and not just take a total bath on the cost of actually building these vehicles. So, so that's what really helps them there by going down that, that route of SUP and and pickup truck, and you know, they also by doing that, they put themselves in this position to essentially get to this point now, where they have become, you know, for all intents and purposes, the first company to ship an electric pickup truck. There are a lot of other ones in the works, uh, and it will it will not be as much of a rarity in a couple of years. But they are, uh, you know, they beat Ford, which has the F one fifty Lightning to market. They beat Lordstown Motors, which is a you know a much smaller kind of struggling startup. Uh, that's focused on building pickup trucks for fleets. They beat them to the market. Um, so so they, they are going to be in this position where they can sort of make themselves become known as the electric pickup truck in the way that you know Tesla became the electric car company for a lot of people. And that's that's sort of what they want to do. So they're able to get to the IPO. You know, there's it's interesting, like their their inflection point was they debuted at the 2018 LA Auto Show. And everybody saw these vehicles and were really wowed by them. They're a little polarizing, but for the most part, I think people were really interested in how specifically they tailored it to like outdoorsy lifestyles, you know, all wheel drive, all these sorts of cool little compartments and things uh, where you can stow gear and everything. And, uh, and so that got them a lot of buzz. And then a couple months later, Amazon led a $700 million investment round into them. Uh, and then 
a couple of months later, Ford followed with a $500 million investment round. And they had, you know, they were courting GM. There was a good Wall Street Journal piece the other day about how close GM actually got to making that investment. And it was like, everybody should go read it. It's it's a really good scene about like RJ Scringe flying back with this Ford executive on his jet and like basically Ford stealing Rivian out from underneath GM, which is uh, really funny. And uh, and from there, they've just taken off. They're, they're 9,000 people around the world now. They have offices all around the US. They've been building um, service and delivery centers. And in, on top of those two vehicles, they're also going to be building up to 100,000 electric delivery vans that they designed with Amazon. So the interesting thing about them is not just the products that they built that look really cool and we can talk about, but they will be a lot of people's probably uh, first touch point for electric vehicles because we've all seen these Amazon vans circulating our neighborhoods every day. And, uh, and there's a good chance that that might be the first time you actually notice an electric vehicle near you. The thing that really gets me about Rivian is, I mean, Sean, you've been reporting on like the electric car companies that, I mean, you're reporting on Tesla, but electric car companies that aren't Tesla trying to like make it. You mentioned Lordstown. Uh, I'm going to bring up Faraday. For the past five years, it's like, oh, an uh, electric car company? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll believe it when you actually make something and ship it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rivian sort of went from that category to holy crap, they're doing it. They're actually shipping something and they're making something really compelling almost overnight. Like, how do they get over that ledge of we are actually real, we actually have capital, we're actually, you know, staffing factories and making trucks? I think one thing that actually hasn't gotten a lot of attention in in the run-up to this IPO that I think played such an outsized role in their success so far is that, you know, it's easy to sort of scoff at the, like, Patagonia of electric vehicles kind of vibe, But what they did that was so smart that a lot of pretty much arguably all other electric vehicle startups haven't is they picked a customer. They said, you know, they threw out the sports car idea. They said, let's get as like kind of narrow as possible an idea. And they really like chiseled out a brand that like is more cohesive than anything else. Faraday Future, Byton, all these other companies that have struggled and or gone out of business uh, or fallen by the wayside. They all wanted to be the next Tesla in the sense that they wanted to be a mass market electric vehicle. And that's a really hard thing to do if you're trying to be a product for everybody. And what Rivian did that was so smart was realize, you know, halfway through that they wanted to make something specific. And if it didn't work out, you know, the chances are it's not going to work out. So why not take the risk on making something that could appeal to a more niche group of buyers, even though, again, we're talking trucks and SUVs. But they really built a cohesive brand around it, and I think that really helped. And then, honestly, the in the run-up to the IPO recently, one of the things that we learned when they filed their S1 with the Securities and Exchange Commission is that, you know, they got a lot of help. Like, not only sort of, you know, obviously they're getting a lot of help from Amazon on building the delivery van and, and figuring out how that's going to work, but Ford built the body and whites for them for all their prototypes. So basically everything that sits above like the electric vehicle platform that powers the cars, Ford actually built all of that. So I think they had a lot of work done before they came out of stealth in 2018, um, which showed at the, at the LA auto show, you know, they didn't show like cardboard cutouts that, that fell over. Um, (laughs) But, you know, at at that point, they would have probably taken a little bit longer to get to here if it hadn't been for the sort of, you know, big companies one automotive, one tech uh, that came in and, and really sort of saw the potential there and, and partnered with them and started sort of pushing them forward. You and I obviously talk a lot about the car industry. 
big companies are trying to do this, right? Like Ram is trying to ship an electric 1500 pickup truck. Chevy has announced a electric Silverado. Ford is presumably with the next few months shipping the lightning. They're like saying it. It just took them forever to get on the board. Why do you think it took a startup with obviously with help? But why do you think it took a startup to get there first? There's a there's definitely at the very least one big technical reason, which is when you're talking about making larger electric vehicles, you start to run into this problem where to get the kind of range that people want in order to consider buying them, you need a certain amount of batteries. The more batteries that you need to get that range to power what are bigger, heavier vehicles, you are making them bigger and heavier, which means you start to get into this sort of like chicken and egg problem. Uh, and they actually have some, it's it's a little wonky, but if you look at how they build their battery pack, that whole part of the equation, it, it, they made like a really big advancement there in trying to figure out that problem, that, which I think has, I think, you know, isn't going to, and that's not the reason that like GMC's pickup trucks aren't going electric just yet, but it was a reason that people were hesitant to think about going further than a sedan uh, for a while. So I think that's a part of it. And then, you know, it is, you know, we hear this explanation a lot, but I think there's some validity to it, which is like, there's just this idea of a, a large like corporation like the automakers are, it's just harder for them to do something new and, and cut ties to certain baggage that they have, like the, the Mustang Mach-E is a really good example. The only reason the Mustang Mach-E exists and that Ford is like now actually sort of in the game is that the CEO at the time went to whoever, you know, the team that was working on what was essentially the next Focus Electric, like a small electric vehicle that they were going to make and was like, we're going to get killed with this. No one's going to buy this thing, make something better. And that turned into the Mustang Mach-E and not only turned into something more interesting, but on a much quicker time scale. They turned that around in like two years, two and a half years uh, for that debut in November 2019. So I think those are two of the big reasons why Rivian's here now. Also money, money, a lot of <laughs> money. They have a lot of money, yes. They've raised $10 billion to date, and that's not counting the IPO. Um, they've raised more than $10 billion. When you said that they picked a customer and the customer was like people that wear Patagonia vests or whatever, isn't the customer that they picked Jeff Bezos? <laughs> well, he is a, he definitely is a customer because not only is Amazon buying vans, we've seen during uh, Blue Origins launches, uh, Rivian, you know, Blue Origin branded Rivian pickup trucks and SUVs pull up to the launch sites and stuff. And uh, they won't say, they won't tell us, we keep bugging them. They won't tell us if they bought those vehicles or not. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the, the money aspect real quick, but then I actually want to talk about the, the cars. But the money aspect is interesting, right? You have covered a lot of EV companies that have raised a bunch of money in a bunch of strange ways. <laughs> and they, like Faraday Future is like the prime example, uh, especially for Sean. <laughs> Wait, how did Faraday Future do it? I vaguely remember this disaster. I'll do this as quickly as possible, I promise. Faraday Future was founded by the guy who ran the Netflix of China and also right. Le Echo, which was like a mobile phone company. And TV company. And TV company and, and at one point Android bike company. He had, you know, he had those successes in China, but the problem that he had over there was that he would he would build something up, he would borrow a lot of money against it, and then when that thing started to fall apart, whatever he built up next, he would uh, borrow money against that to pay off basically Ponzi scheme style. Hell yeah. Uh, moving money around. <laughs> to the point that he got chased out of China. He founded Faraday Future with a bunch of that money uh, when things were starting to get really heated 
for the first time in China. So he put like close to $2 billion of that money into Faraday Future. That was how they originally got founded. When they first ran into their biggest cash crunch a couple years ago, they actually got bailed out by Evergrande, which is the massive Chinese <laughs> real estate conglomerate that is currently facing a $300 billion <laughs> debt load of its own and is maybe going to collapse unless the Chinese government saves it. And so they survived for a while off of that. They got in a fight with Evergrande. Uh, that they settled at the end of 2018. Evergrande kind of walked away with a piece of the company. Faraday Future just sort of stayed in stasis mode <laughs> until at the end of last year or beginning of this year, they announced that they were going to do a SPAC merger. Oh no, of course. Yes. And this year in July, they completed the SPAC merger and they are now a public, uh, publicly traded company with- uh, That sells no cars. That sells no cars, yes. Is their stock price like- Eight dollars, five dollars. I don't know. It's not. It's not as high as Rivian's. I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, well, so but here's my question. Like, uh, just to back out of all this, because we could probably do the whole hour on Faraday shenanigans. No one and, wants it. Trust me, I know. <laughs> trust me. Well, if you want it, I want it's it. all on the website. Sean has broken more news about Faraday Future than anybody. But right, they raised all the money. They had the resources. They had the big companies behind them. Faraday. They never shipped a car, and it's a disaster. Right. Yeah. Faraday. Right. Yes. Faraday. Yes. Faraday had the money. They had the tech companies. They they had everything. They were just bad. They had all the same puzzle pieces. They just never made a car. Yeah. Like, what in the Rivian story made them actually get to this point? Is it they're just better executives? Less Is it Ponzi schemes. Less Ponzi <laughs> schemes, right? Like, because there's a lot of electric car companies are just a, a hope and a prayer, even though they have tons of money. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the problems here is like, Tons of money is super relative because when you're talking about the automotive space, like it, you need this amount of money that Rivian has raised to really actually get there. Lucid Motors is another good example. They just started shipping their first luxury electric sedan, and it took them getting well over a billion dollars from Saudi Arabia to be able to get to the point where they that amount of money barely just got them to production. But then they also just went public in a SPAC merger that raised four more billion dollars. So the amount of money, even though Faraday had spent two billion, that's still like kind of not enough, especially at one point they wanted to build their own factory. That's definitely not enough. And if you look at Rivian's filing so far uh, as they've become a public company, even they say they're going to spend another eight billion dollars in the next two years. So like that's definitely part of this. They were just able to corral the right amount of capital from sources that were you know, less problematic, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, and so, and then, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of leadership part of this as well. You know, they definitely have poached uh, from a lot of companies. They took a, a bunch of people from McLaren. They took a bunch of people mm -hmm. from, I mean, they've taken, everybody kind of hops around at this point with all these different startups. But so I think they probably hired well. And, and it seems like RJ, RJ Scringe seems like a very, intelligent person, a very focused person. He doesn't seem to have the sort of uh, parts of a personality that we've seen from people like Elon Musk and even Faraday Futures founder that, you know, work against that that part that you need to be successful. Yeah, essentially they've got a plant in what normal Illinois is where they're building the cars. They're going to do another one in Texas. Well, maybe. Maybe. They built a, uh, yes, they, they bought this factory in normal Illinois on the extreme cheap, it's a former Mitsubishi factory that had been empty for a little while, and it was one that Faraday Future actually passed over in <laughs> in search of building their own uh, in Nevada instead. And so there's a connection there too. But it's just funny, like all I know a lot of people in Wisconsin, Illinois, and Rivian is the hot job to get. Yeah, like 
all a bunch of people I know who used to like work for Harley and like Miller Coors and like various sales. Like they all want to go work for Rivian. And that is like, you can't buy that. Yeah. Right. To be the place where all the talent in an area wants to go. I think it's interesting. It's just interesting to see this company. It's been a slow road and they're about to start shipping at scale. And like all, all the pieces have aligned for them in a way that everything else is wreckage, basically. It also feels like there's a little bit of like self-fulfilling prophecy in this one, too. Like, honestly, I didn't know what Rivian was until they announced that they were maybe building a factory in my hometown in Texas. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to learn all about this now. <laughs> I got to get in on this. But it was really interesting to me, like the confidence of everybody I was reading mm-hmm. about talking about this company. Like there wasn't like even with Tesla, we still get the, well, all right, when they ship the f- car to you. But with this the company, cyber it's like, truck. yeah, w- cyber, even just the three, the Model 3. But with this company, it's like, no, they're doing it. It's happening. It's coming. If Rivian can ship these cars and they don't have the panel gaps that newer Model 3s have, like... <laughs> Fit your whole hand in there. It, it, like, Tesla ships a lot of cars and people love them. And I, I right, like, there are Teslas in my family. People, like, I've got Tesla evangelists who are related to me. You don't have to tell me how great Tesla is. Trust me, I can just... It's at home. It's already in my house. But, like, the cars are just not well made. Like, there's, you, there's no getting around it. If Rivian can, like surpass that and they're in the biggest category in the country lowest bar well but it's still a bar it's still for a bar new yeah yeah company, for a new car it is a- i mean the ford shipped the, the mach e and they had to recall it like three times in the last <laughs> time they recalled it because like because the roof was getting unglued like <laughs> new cars are hard yeah so let's say they shipped the car let's talk about the actual car the r1t is really interesting mitchell got to drive one the inside of it is more tesla like than not i would say it's got the big screen and they've built a custom software stack can we just talk about the headlights first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, if you haven't seen it, you should go look at a photo. Pull over your car um, <laughs> and and take a look at a photo. Turn off your gas engine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of electric vehicles, whereas 10 years ago, all of the hybrids and like early electrics were like, let's make a really funky body type and put blue accents on mm-hmm. everything. Uh, you know, now... A lot of electric vehicle startups are trying to signal that something's different about the car by going with continuous light bars in the front and then the back. Um, and Rivian sort of mixes that up a little bit by using these two like pill-shaped headlights that uh, go perpendicular to the light bar. Um, so it gives it, yeah, it gives it, I don't know what you even call it. It looks like a... A bug. It's, it's definitely interesting. Like it takes some getting used to. There are people out there who are trying to call them snake eyes to make it sound tough. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it it just looks very friendly. Like it looks like it wants to give you a hug. Yeah. And like I think that probably works to what they're going for. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the blocker for me, but go look at it. Yeah. And then on the inside, right, one of the things about all these car companies that is utterly fascinating to me is the inside of the car is at, at this point more important than the outside. And like the software experience of the car is I would say in disarray around the industry in general, but they've had to build their own stack from the ground up and it's all of their own stuff. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's still very Tesla style, you know, like you look at the interface, if you, if you go look at Mitchell's piece or there are definitely a lot of good videos on YouTube from the press drives, like the interface is very, it's very similar to what Tesla has done. It's a very like clean looking, maybe almost a little too, sort of overdone UI as far as like, uh, you know, some features may be hidden. It's all touchscreen based. And so that's, it's something that they 
that and the software that actually manages the car is something that they made a lot of hires around earlier on. And I think that's probably the hope is that's going to pay off for them because like that is one of the things that can be really difficult once these cars get on the road. Everybody talks about wanting to have over-the-air updates and how that's transformative. You know, Tesla uses it to make its cars better, but there are a lot of things that can go wrong with that stuff too. And so they're really trying to go for, I think, what Tesla offers, which is this idea of like a living car, something that can sort of change and get better in a way that like the traditional automakers are kind of promising something similar, um, but you're never going to get in as like fluid. Like the traditional automakers are going to be like, the Samsung phone that never gets the Android update faster than the Google <laughs> phone, right? Like, whereas like this is the Rivian is the Google Play edition of electric vehicles. Oh my god! <laughs> but it does need some software updates, doesn't it? Like, I, just from watching a bunch of the videos, it seems like there there's a little bit still of lag and bugginess, and they're really upfront about it too. Like the uh, who was this? Uh, Quinn Nelson was was talking in his his video about it that he would go and talk to the engineers and be like. I don't know about this. And they'd be like, yeah, we don't, we don't like it either. Like it was a trade-off and we're working on it. <laughs> like they were like refreshingly honest, but like they're not, they're yeah. not shipping a perfect software experience yet. I think, you know, one of the problems you run into with this stuff too is like, because software is something you can change, it's harder to agree upon what it should do. You know, whereas like you got to lock in the body type and the frame and like, like the mechanics of the car have to be set and you can't really tinker with those. So I think that you, you probably run into a situation like that. Like I've heard from someone recently at another EV startup that was just about to ship that is like uh, running into a similar problem, but worse than Rivian, where like there are big disagreements about how even UI elements should work uh, at a very late stage in the game that shouldn't be happening. And I think, you know, for all of the money that it's raised and all of the things that it's been able to accomplish so far, something Rivian's going to have to deal with is like, I said, it's got 9,000 people already. <laughs> it is a very big company now and trying to manage all that and keep all of those people together and aim them sort of at the same like success target that you, you know, RJ Scringe was aiming them at uh, a couple of years ago when they were a much smaller team has got to be really hard. So I feel like that's probably one of those places where it shows up. And it's also like you're taking advantage of the fact that you can change it up until and maybe even after you ship the car. So like, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like that's just going to keep happening with this stuff when we're talking about the software of the cars, which is kind of, doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what I mean. Like I, the amount of bad car software that you can interact with as a regular person, like just go to a car, go to any car. If, if you're in your car right now, you're still pulled over. Just, just play with your software for a minute and just think about how would you accept this on your phone? I'm buying a car right now and I seriously like looked at used cars. And I was like, actually, I need to go up a year because the UI changes and I just can't deal with like that very old looking UI because UIs always also look like at least 10 years older than anything <laughs> on your phone. Bad. It's just like time warp. Well, no, so like you watch any YouTube car review and like no one wants to admit it. So they're all like, and this screen has CarPlay and Android Auto, and they just like move on. <laughs> and it's like, no, wait, hold on, <laughs> show it. Like uh, many other things happen on the screen. Tesla is pretty good at it. People love Tesla; they're good at over the updates. The other car makers are now setting goals for themselves in terms of number of over the updates they deliver in a year. It's like both Ford and GM and. Stellantis, <laughs> dear sweet Stellantis, they all talk about deliver like as though that that is the thing that people want. Yeah, 
like I don't I don't know if they've ever t- talked to like a, a regular person. Like no one is like I love my phone because it gets so many updates a year. It's my but because favorite. Tesla's delivering so many updates a year, they think that's the thing they have to compete with. So like if we just like screw with your car <laughs> multiple times a year, you'll be happy is like kind of where their heads are at. But all that is related to the fact that they have none of the systems to do it, right? So be, saying we want to deliver 20 updates a year requires them to build a system such that they can even do it. And so you just see how a corporation takes something like make the computer good and backs it into a metric that has no relationship to human beings. But you understand why. The question for me is like Rivian has to do that. They have to fix the software in the car. They have to ship the cars. Cars have to be good. They have to service cars. They have to charge the cars. They want to build a charging network. Yeah. Can we talk about that for just a minute before we move on to the rest of it? This is just a lot to put. Like the truck is like Mitchell really loved the truck and the feature of the drive tunnel in the middle where he like crawled into the space (laughs) between the bed and the body. All that stuff is cool. Go watch the YouTube. They've done a good job giving them to YouTubers. Like they've done excellent marketing around this truck. But you just like kind of look at that universe of other stuff they have to do. And I there's it's still a lot of question marks. What they have working for them in their favor in a weird way, because this sort of may sound like a problem, is that they are going to be so focused on this Amazon contract and building these Amazon delivery vehicles that they they've said they've collected 55,000 something pre-orders for the pickup truck and the SUV combined. And they've said it's going to take them until the end of 2023 just to make those vehicles. Wow. So they, instead of being like, you know, jumping in, like Ford, for instance, actually made more than the 50,000 Mustang Mach-E's this year than they had planned. Like only a couple thousand more, not like an insane amount more, but Rivian's looking at only doing that within the next two years. So they have a little bit of breathing room in that sense that there isn't going to be 200,000 of their vehicles out there to get right. They, they can con- mm-hmm. control uh, what's out there a little better, but they also have to throw a ton of focus on the delivery vehicle side of things. Um, and then and then also, yes, put, do these other efforts like build out a charging network, which they're trying to do, which, you know, if no one else is going to do it and there's going to be part of this in the infrastructure bill. So like there is going to be more charging stations coming, but like, that's, that's a tall task. That's even someone like EVgo, which is like a company that's been around for a while, that's dedicated to making electric vehicle chargers, knows what it needs to do to build them. Even it's having trouble and is well capitalized. It's having trouble hitting the targets that it's setting for how many it wants to build because like the permitting process in this country differs every different place that you go to build a charger. And there's all this. St- so like they, they have created a lot of work for themselves. Uh, and so... <laughs> so even with the, the consumer products, the, t- the two vehicles that they're ostensibly selling under their brand to people, you know, you got to hope that that they're they're going to be able to address those as products in a, like a totally whole sense while also managing all this other stuff and, and maintaining 9000 employees. What is their overall charging strategy? Is it just they're basically building out their own kind of network like Tesla's supercharging network that will be proprietary at first? you know, maybe open oh, up no. after that. They're also tapping into this idea of doing some more like destination chargers that are near trailheads and things like that. Yeah. They're like, they're like, we're going to put all our chargers next to like off-road trails. So you're going to, you're going to go and charge yeah. up out in the wilderness is their idea. Yeah. That's my plan. The, uh, yeah, the idea that the founder told me back when I first interviewed him in 2018, that like the galaxy brain idea for the company was 
and probably still is in some ways, but they, you, if you notice, they're not talking as much about autonomy as they used to. But the, the galaxy brain idea for Rivian was you go, you, you know, you drive with your Rivian to the put-in spot, you drop your kayaks in the water, you go down the river, your Rivian automatically drives down to where you're getting out of the water and picks you up. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. I love that. I love but that. I thought it was going to be like, then the Rivian lowers a, a, a wheel into the river and charges itself <laughs> like an old timey. It's a good idea. Because that would be, they should do that. Yeah, you should have hit up their investor relations team. <laughs> I've got I've got a great water wheel idea that you just have to hear. <laughs> Let's zoom out, right? So Rivian, I think, is the first new electric car company. It's hit. It's at this moment. It's IPO'd. It is starting to ship the cars. There's, I would say, just a, a level of confidence that they're going to hit the first mark, which is like shipping a bunch of cars, being a real company, not a bunch of financial shenanigans and a 3D render, which is like what most EV startups have been for a while. They're going to get there. But if you just zoom out, we are in this moment of electrification. You, Sean, you and I have talked to this. Like, Alex, maybe you feel this way too. I don't want to buy a car without a battery ever again. Same. And whether it's a hybrid or an EV, like, I just feel like I should. My next car should definitely have a battery in it. I mean, I live in New York City, so where there are no chargers that are like freely available, yeah. so it's like just unreasonable here. Yeah, but you could get like a Prius. Like, there's like a, a number of ways to you get, get like, like a hybrid. I want, yeah. So I'm just like there. I feel like a lot of people are there, but the actual number of cars you can buy to meet that demand outside of the chip shortage and all the other stuff that's going on, the actual number of cars that are available to meet that demand is shockingly low, right? Like, every car company will show you a concept car. Cadillac like, the lyric is coming. And you're like, can I buy it? And they're like, get on this waiting list. Yeah. yeah. Tesla's like, a Cybertruck? This waiting list is even more of a spiritual idea. <laughs> right? Like, what is, why is there such a gap? Why, why it's, it's rare that consumer demand is so far ahead of where the industry is. And I can't quite, I can't quite figure it out. Is it the oil and gas companies? Is there a conspiracy? They're just running around handing out <laughs> cash. <being> like, <laughs> I mean, they could. I mean, and what's made it even worse is you mentioned the chip shortage. It's like finding a new car right now is really hard because there are so few of them that the demand is just taking them right off the lot as soon as they arrive. And finding a used car, it means you're spending way more than you need to on a car that is not worth that much. So on top of all that, the you know people are turning even more to electric vehicle sales. Like electric vehicles are actually making up far more of the market right now still single digit percentage points, but more than we thought they were going to this year based on like how they were growing before. So yeah, there's a there's definitely a lack of it. It doesn't help that GM had to pull the Chevy Bolt off of uh, off of dealer lots because of the, the recall related to the battery fires that they experienced with that. Um, that's definitely, that's hurt them, especially because they just launched two new versions of it that were a little more capable, a little more modern, a little less ugly. Yeah, a little. Yeah, a little less ugly. Um, <laughs> but you know that. So that's not helped. And then you know, I the Mustang Machi's done really well, but we're just still in that weird sort of valley between the promises that were made. The way I always think about it is like mid 2010s was when we started to see all these startups show up and say we're going to be the next Tesla. Automakers are still not maybe taking it as seriously as they should. A couple of years later, those first startups were starting to really fall apart and the automakers were like, let's do it. And so we're just we're just about to round that corner of how long it takes an automaker to put a vehicle on the road from when it was originally conceived. And and the startups are 
have reignited with all this new money that's come into the space the last two years. And so they're actually kind of arriving at a similar point, which is why we have Rivian now, Lucid Motors shipping, um, and a couple other ones, you know, potentially shipping next year. So it's like sort of an unfortunate series of events. I just can't imagine like, if you back out to I don't know, smartphones, right? There weren't just a lot of people walking around being like, my next phone's going to have a touchscreen. Yeah. And the industry was like, next year. Yeah. It was the industry being like, touchscreens are here. And everyone's like, oh, that's a really good idea. We got to catch up to it. And here, it just really feels to me like a lot of people, and maybe it's because I mostly hear from like Vergecast fans or whatever, but a lot of people are like, I want my next car to have a battery in it, whether it's a hybrid or a full EV. Like, I'm, I feel this way about climate. I, I want my car to accelerate really fast, which is a lot of people really want their cars to accelerate really fast. But there's a lot of reasons you don't want a battery in your car. And like, your choices are a number of compact crossovers, and that is it. Well, I mean, you just described the U.S. auto industry, Neilai. Your choices are a number <laughs> of compact crossovers and big ass trucks, and and there's like two <laughs> sedans. You have there's two sedans you can buy right now. That's it. Yeah, but it's nuts to me that like not every car is a hybrid, right? Like that that feels like a miss from the auto industry that they could have gotten there. They, you know, most car companies are like at this point like Taco Belling their platforms. <laughs> right, they have three engines, and like they're just like mixing and matching the parts. It feels like it's like that the the battery and the infrastructure is the hesitancy there, right? Like the batteries are still limited; they're the, the limited distance, and a lot of people live far away. Especially you get to the the rural folks and everything; they they're further away. Like they need they they need to be able to charge quickly. The charging experience is still garbage. Like I, I thought about getting an electric car, and then I was like, okay, first I have to pay for whatever, a place to charge it here in the city. Yikes. And then like, if I ever want to, you know, go back to Texas and visit family, I've added a lot more hours on my drive just to get my car there. And it's like, that's, that's no good. Like that's, that's a really bad situation. It feels like, like the desire is there and everybody else is behind, like the industry is behind, like the car industry is behind. And then like those supporting industries, like, you know, mobile and, and shell and all of these companies, they could be putting charging stations in there and they're it's funny because you said mobile and I was gonna go to I thought you meant mobile phones. Sorry. And I was be like, for example, no one is like, I want 5G. And the industry is like, you desperately 4K, need this. 4K TVs. <laughs> nobody wanted a 4K TV or a smart TV. I did. Like nobody I definitely want, nobody I didn't want a smart yeah, TV. Nobody wanted a smart TV. They're like, I want to figure that out myself. And the TV companies were like, no. You're, you're I'm smart. just saying there's a lot of people listening to this show who are like, I yet yeah, no, I did want more pixels. That's actually a thing that I wanted. Very <laughs> Sorry, guys. Speaking of 5G, do you know who's going to come in and save the, all, solve this problem? <sighs> Foxconn, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about Lordstown and, and Foxconn and what's going on there real quick? Yeah. As briefly as as anyone will tolerate. Foxconn announced yesterday. Uh, they announced this in se- September, but they kind of like finalized it yesterday. They're buying a former General Motors plant in Lordstown, Ohio, which had famously shut down, you know, while Trump was in office and he got very mad about it. And then he actually really touted the sale of it a couple months later to this new startup, Lordstown Motors, which is an electric vehicle startup with no history. And they've been trying to make get that factory ready to make a pickup truck over the last couple of years and have just run into a ton of problems of their own. And now Foxconn is buying that factory. Foxconn has spent the last year plus talking about how it wants to get into electric vehicles. It's made its own electric vehicle platform. It has uh, bought up or partnered with a whole bunch of other companies, including you know startups like Fisker or big companies like Stellantis. And so now they have 
you know, unless the deal doesn't close by, it's supposed to close in April, um, and who knows with Foxconn, but uh, Foxconn is going to have an automotive factory, an electric vehicle factory in Ohio, uh, where it will make the pickup truck for Lordstown Motors, it'll make some new vehicle that they haven't announced yet with Fisker, and who knows what else? There's a lot of space there, six million square feet. So Foxconn loves a big empty building. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> you can't get enough. Of How it. long is the drive from Racine to Lordstown? No, this is actually this is really funny, right? So they announced they were going to look for a factory, and yeah. everyone thought, oh, they're going to use the one in Wisconsin that they built to build cars for Fisker. Sure. And then Henrik Fisker was like, no. <laughs> we're not going to do that like, straight up. They, it was either Wisconsin or Mexico. And they're like, we're deciding. And they kept visiting the Wisconsin facility. And like, you're like, oh, these are just photo ops. But what, what Fisker was actually doing was he was lobbying to change the rule in Wisconsin that says all cars have to be sold by a dealer. Right. Okay. Well, I'm just going to tell you the Wisconsin GOP, which is, you know, the group that put the Foxconn deal in place is captured by the Wisconsin auto dealers so that to save their own project. They had to, they had to go against one of their biggest constituencies. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like a hilarious, so they, they didn't change the law. So Fisker like walked and went to Ohio where they can sell the cars direct. All, I mean, all of this is just like, like it's hilarious and we still don't know what's going there. I love the idea. It's really, it's really wonderful that Foxconn maybe had a total out there to like fill its empty buildings in Wisconsin with something and say like, hey, we're going to do this here now. We're going to make EVs. And instead, they've now wound up in the situation where they have two currently <laughs> very empty, empty large buildings. sites in the, in the United States. I mean, they built a building. Like, they built buildings. That's They built something. They did, they did build. It's also funny that Fisker, like, blew up this chance to get really good press and, like, do this in Wisconsin because they insisted on selling the cars direct. Yeah. Like. I don't know. Tesla's building plants in Texas. People in Texas, when they buy a Tesla, they have to import. They have to go to another place. It's like hilarious. And they're totally okay with it. They're like, yeah. And they're totally yeah. okay. Driving to Oklahoma. See y'all in an hour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just funny to me. I don't have any strong feelings on whether cars need to be sold through dealers or not. But I do think that the fact that people in Texas have to do a round trip out of state to get a car is hilarious. And the fact that Fisker blew up their own chance to rescue the Foxconn plan in Wisconsin over this rule is deeply hilarious. But what were we expecting when they announced like we might build cars in Wisconsin? I think Sean and Josh and I were like, no, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't even before we even knew the details. Can we just, just very briefly, we've gone way far afield and we haven't talked about the kitchen in a tube that could fit inside the Rivian pickup truck. <laughs> Like, is that a real thing? Like, do you think, or is that just a really cool gimmick? Do they actually intend to sell any of those? Because like, if you don't know, the, the truck has this pass-through chamber and you can buy like a camping kit that's got like a working sink and a grill that like slides out of your truck. That's what you meant by kitchen and a tube. I would buy that tube in a heartbeat. Add that to your email to their investor relations people, Neelan. That's great. <laughs> I mean, here's here's my answer. They're charging $5,000 for it. So yeah, they're going to try and sell it to people. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Not every vehicle is going to come with it. But yeah, if they can charge $5,000 for someone. I mean, every vehicle. Like right now, the only, the only versions, the only trim levels sold are the most expensive trim levels. Yeah, I just priced one out. It's eighty three thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. The base price we should should have said on both of these uh, vehicles is like sixty seven grand, but you'll be waiting a while for that. 
You'll be getting the yeah. 90000 Sorry, Neil, there's a new trend. Instead of buying a Pixel phone on the Vergecast, you buy an electric vehicle on the Vergecast. Is that what's happening here? Do it. I can I can put $100 down on any number of cars that aren't shipping. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it is absolutely the weirdest time to be. I mean, Alex knows she's actually buying it's horrible. a car. I'm addicted to car shopping. Like, And it's just amazing how many cars don't currently exist. Yeah. Like you can look at web pages for cars for days. And then you go to buy no and it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. You have to wait four months. And then we're yeah. we're not we're not gonna get the one you want in. We're gonna get the one that's twenty thousand dollars more. <laughs> Take give us your money. You've got all those phone mounts, you know? You need cars for all those phone <laughs> I mounts. I gotta put them. <laughs> I gotta yeah, that's it really you start you start small and you go big. I don't know. I'm just gonna start buying like nineties escalades. They're cheap, they're available. No one wants them. There's no, there's all that used car demand is yeah. not pointed at 90s Escalades. <laughs> Technically, they have a battery in them, I guess. There was a, there was a brief ill-fated Escalade hybrid. It is not a good car, but I'm at the point where I'm like, well, that has a battery. <laughs> this seems fine. All right, Sean, thank you so much. We got to take a break. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Okay, we're back. There's kind of a lot of Apple stuff going on. Yeah, like a, uh, just a, a smorgasbord. And on the smorgasbord is just different apples. Should we start with buttons and links? I think we have to. Okay, so Apple versus Epic. Big court case. Epic loses on most of its charges of Apple being a monopoly and the iPhone being a monopoly in its own operating system. Okay. They win one very important concession from the judge. The judge says Apple's anti-steering rules are bad. Anti-competitive yep. under California law, writes an order saying basically crossing out the anti-steering rule that Apple has, right? Saying you strike this language. Now apps in their metadata and in the applications themselves must allow buttons and links pointing to external payment systems. Right. This led to some discussion of what buttons and links mean. More importantly, it led to Apple saying, "Hold up, that's bad. We want to stay this order until we appeal the case and we can win again." Right. So they go to the judge and request to stay. They had oral they, and they filed their motion and stuff. They had oral argument in front of the same judge. Judge said, no, I don't like this. Like if I grant you this stay, 
nothing will change for three to five years while you do these appeals that you're going to do. Right. We thought, okay, they had a oral argument. She yelled at Apple a bunch, which was really interesting. Okay, it's going to take a, you know, another week or two. Like 30 minutes later, she puts out the order saying, no, stay granted. And she like dunks on Apple a lot. Yeah. Right? The anti-steering provisions are one of the key provisions upon which Apple has been able to successfully charge super competitive commissions untethered to its intellectual property. Apple's commission rates depress royalties and suppress competition in the industry generally. She's like, no, I think you're anti-competitive. Yeah. Well, and one of the one of the key points here was uh, Apple's like, no, man, changing this rule is going to take years. It's going to be so hard. Yeah. And the judge is like, no, uh, you've, you've, I gave you 90 days. You could you could figure it out. Uh, I'm not even going to give you a 10 day extension because I gave you 90 days. And why didn't you get started by now? It's like, it's like, why didn't you get your homework done? You should have started it by now. It's not my fault. You waited until the last minute. Apple also said it would cause significant engineering resources to comply with this rule, which no one knows what that means. Yeah. Okay. So she says no. She clarifies buttons and links. Yep. But then I'm pretty sure the order has a typo in it. So now we, we have to talk about something else. But she does clarify buttons and links. She says, with respect to the alleged need for clarification, because some developers do not understand the scope of the injunction, the developer agreement prohibits third-party in-app purchasing systems other than Apple IAP, in-app purchases. The court did not enjoin that provision, didn't say other payment systems, but rather said you have to be able to communicate external alternatives and allow links to those external sites. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think she actually clarified anything because I don't know what happens if you have a button in an app that opens an in-app browser mm-hmm. that already has your login info and billing info in it. And that's how you buy Fortnite dances. Yeah. Is that an, is that an in-app purchase or is that a separate yeah. browser? Earlier in the ruling, the judge writes, consumers are quite used to linking from app to a web browser. So it's like, yes, we're in the weeds here. So like the Kindle app, if it has a button that says buy book and it opens a browser, what are they going to do? Yeah. They definitely still have to put the other button there, I think. The Apple button. Probably. Yep. Like they, they have to, right? The, when the court doesn't say so, but I think Apple might say so. Yeah. And the court doesn't say, the court says Apple could say, could demand it if it wanted to, I think. Yeah. So I just, I love the judges. Like, I'm clarifying this and she doesn't clarify it, which is very important. <laughs> um, so still, we're still in the world of buttons and links. Apple says they're going to appeal this again. It is every time you appeal it now, it's like getting dicier that it'll get stayed. But we'll yep. see. It's happened before. But that's where we are with buttons and links is Apple has won a lot of this war. This very important battle is still not won. Yep. And by December 9th, they have to allow developers to tell you places to buy things that are not Apple's and communicate the prices, which means the pricing pressure on the App Store is going to get really incredible. Yeah. And actually, the, the judge specifically talked about this. Apple maintains convenience via IP. If it can compete on pricing, developers may opt to capitalize on that convenience, including any reassure. I think she means reinsurance that Apple provides to customers. It may provide safer, blah, blah, blah. But then here's the dunk. The fact remains, it should be their choice. Consumer information, transparency, and consumer choice is in the interest of the public. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Can we talk about this typo real quick? <laughs> we have to. So she puts out the, the, she puts out the opinion denying this day. Hmm. And the line, the you know, the order says apps and their metadata, comma, buttons and links. And I'm pretty sure there's a typo in it. And so now the order actually reads apps and their meta buttons. No. And I just like lost my mind. Like, what is a meta button? Where did this come from? I can't. We have to stop using this word. It's very bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it's a typo. And she was just copying and pasting. But we figured it out. Is Apple going to 
avoid doing what they're supposed to. Because they've redefined the meta buttons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I have really hopes. I mean, I don't hope so, but I hope so. Here's the thing, though. The word meta button appears twice in the ruling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real bad. I will say that it's still not clear if you push a button and it opens a web view. Mm-hmm. We know what Apple's going to say, but we still don't know what it means to push a link to go to a website in the context of the App Store. Is a meta button a button in the metaverse? I don't want, I can't, I can't be talking about the metaverse. See, the CEO of Disney this week did his earnings call and he was like, Disney plus is a metaverse. Yeah. And we're like, is it, is it now? <laughs> I think it was Benedict Evans who said that we're in, in two years where all this metaverse talk is going to sound like what the information superhighway sounded in like the late two thousands. Remember like in the nineties, Bill Clinton was like, we're going to, we're going to get on the information superhighway right after there's a bridge to the future or something, something, something. Um, and no one talks about the information superhighway now because that's a ridiculous metaphor for the internet. Uh, you know, it's a fun thing to say if you just like, if you really want to like push it, don't say information superhighway, just tell someone you were surfing the web. <laughs> just like, be like, what'd you do last night? And you're like, I surfed the web and people will look at you like you are crazy. Are we not supposed yeah. to say <laughs> that one anymore? Do you talk, do you? Try it. I, do it tonight. Yeah. I'm going go to do it tonight. Like, I'm going to the bar one after this. One of my favorite this. activities is yeah. surfing the web. What were you doing this evening? Surfing the web. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for you to get here. Surfing the web on my phone. Can I have feelings about surfing the web? Because that, that means that like people aren't clicking links between websites. Everyone's just going to Google. It's a sign of monopoly power that we can't surf anymore. <laughs> Bring back the wave of information. This is the worst the worst point break sequel of all time is being pitched right now. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Uh, there's a bunch of other Apple stuff. Tim Cook gave an interview at the DealBook conference this week with Andrew Sorkin. He said he owned cryptocurrency. He didn't think that Apple would, like he personally is invested in cryptocurrency. He said he thought it was a good idea. He said Apple wasn't interested in it because it's so volatile. Yeah. He doesn't think people buy Apple stock to get exposure to crypto volatility, which is just, you can just see where Tim Cook's head is at, right? Yeah. Like he gave the deep answer on crypto volatility. And then Andrew Sarkin was like, what about the metaverse? He's like, no, no further, <laughs> nope. no further comments from me. <laughs> Done here. He did say that he thinks sideloading is bad. The usual yeah. comments on that stuff. Can you explain this face ID right to repair situation? So uh, when you replace a screen on an iPhone 13 and you put it onto another iPhone, there's a chip that makes face ID work. And that stops working if you swap screens. And there's no reason it should. There's no, the, the secure enclave and all that stuff isn't there. So iFixit did the teardown and they investigated that like, if you like learn micro soldering and you manage to get the chip off the board you know, in some way and move it to the other thing, it'll continue to work. But functionally what it does is it takes a huge category of phone repairs and puts it in a place where independent repair shops just cannot do it. Because if face ID breaks, you're not going to get your screen replaced from the place that breaks your face ID. Just, you're not going to do it. And they, iOS was putting up various warnings about it. And it was clear that Apple like had some idea of what was going on here. And they gave us, you know, the information. They're like, actually, no, we're we're gonna we're gonna fix that. You're gonna be able to not have to micro solder a chip from one screen to the other screen in order to make your screen swap work or replace your screen. So they actually backed off a thing that improved your right to repair, uh, which I don't believe happens without you know the current push for, uh, for right to repair and the current regulatory pressures that are being put on big tech. Didn't they do this with the Touch ID too? Like the Touch ID, you had to switch things over 
otherwise your touch ID would break. Yeah, it's it's very it's very very similar. And so you'd think conceptually it's the same thing, but I'm I'm pretty sure the chip didn't perform the exact same function. Well, also touch ID was not connected to the screen. Right, right. but when you were replacing the front of it, if you replaced the front of it wrong, the touch ID would break. Because yes. it would like yeah. for because it would be like, oh, you have a new touch ID. We hate you. But yeah, like, but the part on the 13, like it's connected to the screen, face ID and the screen are basically one piece, Okay, like some of that stuff. And so swapping that stuff out is really difficult because uh, you got to get into micro soldering. And so you need to be able to just buy that part that has all that stuff on it and put it on when your screen breaks. Right. And only an Apple authorized dealer had the software jiggery pokery to authorize face ID on that screen replacement. And they have now stepped back and it no longer will break Face ID if you replace your screen that also has those Face ID bits on it. Was this like a bug or was this intentional and, oh, they got caught, so... That's an excellent question, Alex. What do you think? Hmm, I sure have opinions on that subject. (laughs) (laughs) I think think Dieter is right. I think basically the right to repair... There are bills, there are people in Congress. It's all part of the antitrust stuff. Like... This is going to be one of those any member of Congress can be like, and big tech won't even let you fix your phone anymore. Yeah. If you break the screen, like why walk into that? Yeah. No, I think that there's a there's an entire category of problems now for Apple where Tim Cook is like, you know what? I don't want to think about it. Like, make that go away where normally they'd they'd be like, nope, we're going to we're going to hold the line here. But I think right now there's just a category of things where Tim Cook's like, nope. That that's not worth our time. We're gonna hold the line yeah. on the definition of button, but, <laughs> but this this just well, won't happen. I think anything that's anything that is easy for a politician to explain is not a battle worth fighting. <laughs> it's like wow. a very simple like Oh, I love it. You wanna get deep in the weeds on buttons and links and whether or not IAP should be thirty percent or fifteen percent like whatever, like no one in a town hall meeting can do. We we've been trying to do it on the show for ten years. <laughs> it's very hard. You want to do blue bubbles? That's my. That's still like over the head of most people, and people can feel it and they understand it. Apple made it impossible for you to cheaply repair your screen when you crack your phone. Like that's just gold. Yeah. That's political yeah. gold. Yeah. And like, why why give them the gold? And you force them to do RCS. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, more more quick Apple stuff. Two kind of interesting hires. One I think makes sense, like conceptually. The other one, is, so they uh, the CEO of Johnson Johnson has now joined Apple's board. Yep, it's great. Presumably because Apple just wants to do health stuff all the time, and they think Johnson yeah. Johnson will help them. Yeah, well, and like they they've been they've been trying so long to get health right. Their efforts really need a booster. Oh, very good. They've got one shot to to get it right this time. Oh my God, that's the virtuous, everybody. It'll only work 60% of the time. <laughs> Shut it down. It's brutal, Alex. Wow. It is interesting how Apple invests in health, right? And like mm-hmm. they've run into a lot of problems with health. Okay. They're, they're adding yeah. an executive into the board to, to bring some rigor to that. Well, and I think bring some rigor to their goals to like, what are, what is, what are we planning on doing besides Tim Cook saying health is going to be our most important contribution? Well, like specify the contribution a little bit more clearly. I think having this CEO in particular on the board helps them do that. Yeah. So does this mean they're not going to, because for a while they're like, maybe we'll do our own like internal clinics and hospitals. And they realized that was bad. And so now they're like yeah. pivoting maybe away from that. We'll see. So this brings you into the second hire. Right. So you add the CEO of the healthcare company to bring some rigor and some goals and 
some direction. Okay, that makes sense. They've also hired yet another Tesla executive, the director, mm-hmm. the former director of autopilot, to do question marks. <laughs> Unrealistic things. Well, I I mean, I don't know. The Apple car situation, I mean, and uh, Sorkin did ask Cook about this, and there was just more. When Tim Cook shuts down, man, it is like a robot turn. It's like, boo, 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 boo. Like, it's like, <laughs> I'm not talking about that. So they, they've added yet another car executive to do something. They have spun this program up. They have spun it down 500 times. We still yeah. don't know what's happening, but they continue to hire car executives, specifically yeah. ex-Tesla executives. Yeah. It's all for CarPlay. you guys think there's a car coming it's all car play the thing sean talked about earlier about how like electric car people and like just people that are doing high-end car software are just bouncing around between the companies is very real it is very real what's interesting is you can break the software there's two big chunks there's the stuff on the screen in front of you which is sort of uniformly bad then there's the stuff that runs the car which Mm -hmm. is not allowed to be bad Right. Like at a, at a deeply fundamental level and they operate on, on very different. We need to survive. Yeah. Like, yeah. If your car, if the body control module of your car fails, like bad things happen to you and they're on wildly different development timelines. And then there's self driving, which is supposed to connect a lot of these things, right? You need to tell a map where you want to go. And then the car has to operate another wildly different development cycle and timeline. And, one of the most interesting things about Apple, like in terms of the mystery is we have no idea where they want to play. Right. Like if for a while they were going to build their own car, which when they were going to build all of it, then they were just going to build self-driving for other car makers or a user experience for other car makers. Still totally unclear what they want to do. Telling you it's yeah. our all car play, the best music experience play. it's coming. <laughs> Spatial audio in the car. Oh God. But to what Sean was mentioning earlier, right? To succeed, you need to have a lot of money. Apple is kind of at the point where they have so much money that they can't be like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, um, we're going to make a TV, which is something I think they should do. (laughs) They're like, that doesn't cost enough money. It doesn't move the needle enough. Like they could just buy Samsung. (laughs) (laughs) We now make TVs and they're like, yeah, that was the pocket change. They can spend enough money to make a car. And I think part of the reason they keep chasing after it is it's because it's one of the few places where the, we're like, they, they have them. They're one of the few companies that just has the cash balance to do it. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think you can see that as an opportunity. You can also see it as like, man, you, you should decide what you want. Like the Apple midsize crossover is a deeply funny thing to consider. It costs a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Can't repair it yourself. Yeah. If the windshield falls off, you have to call Apple. Okay. Lastly, Becca and Mario made a great video comparing the, the, iPhone 13 Pro and the Pixel 6 Pro, the full frame from Becca. I'm not going to tell you, like, it is a great video. It's super fun to watch. It is remarkable where these cameras have landed. Yeah. And what they're good and bad at. I'm not going to tell you the results. You should go watch it. And particularly the Mario segment is very funny because Mario is hilarious. But go watch it. It's really good. Becca had to take a lot of photos. Like, literally the end card of this video is Becca being like, I don't know if I can do this again. <laughs> 2,000 photos. 1,000 each from each camera. We were talking about before. She doesn't have a dog. She doesn't have a cat. She doesn't have children. She doesn't have, like, naturally photogenic things around her. And she went out and took 2,000 photos. That's, like, that's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. One more quick break. We'll be back. Let's wrap this thing up. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. 
That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back. Yeah. Dieter, there's a bunch of Microsoft news. So uh, they have announced another version of Windows. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's another uh, S version. It's uh, Windows 11 SE. And if we know anything about SE, it's that it's a very clearly defined thing, right? Like the iPhone SE? I don't know. It is a special edition, I suppose, of Windows that's aimed really just at education. And so it's optimized for low-cost devices. Um, It's not going to ship with the Microsoft Store, which is interesting. But they are going to allow third-party apps, including Zoom and Chrome, because you can't get into schools without Zoom and Chrome, because that's how they run schools. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, so it's like, that's interesting. uh, But uh, it's you know, it's easy to dunk on Microsoft to keep trying to make lightweight versions of Windows, but they really do need to get into the education market. And this is another shot at it. So fine. To me, the more interesting thing in some ways is alongside Windows 11 SE, they announced the $249 Surface Laptop SE. With a garbage display. <laughs> it could be pretty. I, I, we haven't seen it, so I don't want to say it's garbage. But yeah. But when your resolution is 1366 by 768 in 2021, yeah. that's not that's, pretty. Yeah. That's a classic. That's like a, that's like a mid-2000s iBook. Yeah. That's just rough. That's, that's, like, it is wild that they can't. It's the get, opposite yeah. of pixel density. Microsoft, yeah. invest in in displays, please. Well, and there there are Chromebooks at this price range that are doing better on the display front. But in terms of making it, other than the display, in terms of making a low cost device for schools, um, they're making it repairable. They're going to have parts. It's mm-hmm. relatively easy to op- easy to open up. So that's actually incredibly good news. Hopefully the thing is relatively durable. It's a bummer that they're using an Intel Celeron processor. Bummer that it's four gigabytes of RAM. That's like, that's the real. Yeah. So here's the thing, like can Windows 11 SE get lightweight enough where things can actually run well on this processor and this much RAM? 
Um, cause you can get a Chromebook that can like not be the worst at the, at these specs. Um, but more importantly, you can get a Chromebook, uh, with slightly better specs for not that much more money. And I don't know, I don't know what Microsoft's goal here. Do they actually want to sell this thing, uh, in bulk to schools or is there hope that they can prove to the rest of the windows market that they need to try harder at making windows machines to compete with Chromebooks instead of just making Chromebooks? I feel like it's both, especially like when you look at this, because I used to have to cover like these really cheap laptops for a while. And once you get under $500, you're in garbage territory for Windows or you're in like Chromebooks. And even the Chromebooks start to get pretty, pretty dicey. But like there's just nothing in that space that's usable as far as Windows goes. And it's always like I think the recommendation was always like save your money, like Put yourself in debt before you buy one of these, which is not a good recommendation and it's not realistic. And the idea that like they're going to attempt it is great. Like the Surface Go was nice and, and kind of forced everybody else to say, OK, we can think we can be a little more thoughtful. We can actually do a nice display. So like it's nice that they're doing it and hopefully it forces people. But oof, that display is just that's just upsetting. <laughs> We've heard a lot about different companies trying to compete with Chromebooks. Like Apple keeps, that's why they make a cheap iPad. You know, if you offered, if you'd said you've got about $250 or $300 to spend, I would take an iPad over this Chromebook, I think, because the iPad has a much nicer display. You, but then you'd have to spend a bunch of money on like keyboard cases and whatever. But the Chromebooks like centrality to the, the education market right now is like one of those things we don't talk about enough. Like every kid just gets like handed a Chromebook in school right now. Because there's just a handful of Google products they use to all talk to each other and like do the work. And that they somehow get Hangouts running on those Chromebooks. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Lawrence once had a great story about how kids were flirting in the comments of Google Docs. Just like very good. Uh, it's, I, they can keep trying to make the entry point, but they've got a, once a school district is bought in, switching them over is really hard and like, the schools are pretty bought into the Google stuff right now. Well, I mean, this is this is why uh, they were explicit that Windows 11 SE can run Chrome, like that <laughs> lets you install it. Uh, it's it's administered by the school, and like it's it's run by like the IT department. Like, what software is available? It's it, there's yeah. no Windows Store. But like, is the is the strategy there that like your school gives you this instead of a Chromebook, and you like accidentally click on Teams, and you're like, ooh, yeah. I love this. Oh <laughs> wait, like this is way better. <laughs> Amazing. We'll see. Uh, speaking of teams, we actually, I think we were talking about this last week, how Microsoft has all the workplace stuff and Facebook has the hardware. Well, here they are. Microsoft partners with Meta to bring teams into Facebook's horizon workplace. Woo. <laughs> it's the metaverse. I rewatched the Microsoft metaverse keynote. Yeah. And the moment when the guy clicks the button to send their, their, legless bodies into the lobby of an Accenture office. I was like, this isn't like, at least the matrix was cool. <laughs> you know, like at least when Keanu was like, woke up and he was in the battery facility and he was like, this is the real world. This sucks. Like there were some people who were like, put me back in the battery. That's a plot point in the matrix. Yeah. It's like, get me back there. No one is like, get me back to an Accenture office. Put me in cartoon land. <laughs> Zero people are like, I want to go to this Accenture office. But it's happening. You can see it coming together. And then lastly, this Windows expired certificate. Expired certificate stories are always good. 
So I was like, I, I actually had a tweet. I was like, it actually makes me feel nice that like giant companies still have expired certificate pro- like things that break their software. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, I forget to go to the dentist. So like even everybody can forget <laughs> things. Um, but actually if you just take a step back, it is really stupid that like this basic fundamental thing broke and that Microsoft wasn't on top of it because and Windows many working. companies have solved this problem of like yeah. remembering to make sure your t- certificates don't expire. All right. want to end with uh, just people ask me on this. I did not expect this to be a big deal. It turned into a huge deal. So we updated our background policy, which I'll explain in a second. And we didn't put it on the front page. I just tweeted it and it like blew up. And so some people ask, can you spend five minutes explaining what you mean? And I, it was just, this was a note for PR people and mostly other reporters. So here's the thing that happens in media all the time. I talk to Dieter. Dieter talks to me. I'm a reporter. Dieter, I get to write down what Dieter said and said that Dieter said it. That's called on the yeah. record. This is the standard, how it should work all the time. Then if you watched any movie with newspaper people, and I, I love movies with newspaper people. They're super accurate. I could watch the post all day. Uh, my old Michael Keaton movie, The Paper, very good. Just go check it out. If you watch any of those movies, you watch any of the Watergate movies, you know people are off the record. That means mm-hmm. you can't use what they say. And this is just like a fun thing you can do with your friends. You can just be like, off the record? And be like, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't mean, but you can just say it, and it means you can't use it. Right. Yeah. Then there's this gray area in the middle where I say, hey, Dieter, can I tell you something on background? And Dieter's like, maybe. Define on background. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I tell him something, and he, he can use the information. Dieter, I'm buying a Rivian R1T. And he can say... Sources say Neilai is buying an R1T, yeah. right? Or I could say Neilai is buying a Rivian R1T, but I don't quote him. Yeah, I just so know like, it. Neilai gives me a long, complicated explanation of why, and then I could paraphrase mm. that explanation and source it to Neilai. And so, some yeah. companies, when they say on background, what they mean is that we don't want you to tell anybody that we're the ones that told you. Some companies do the right thing and say, yeah, it, we're on background, but you can tell people what we told you. But the definitions are all over the place. And there's a potential confusion there that uh, can gum up the works, let's say. Yeah. And I, and I would say our responsibility as journalists and reporters is to not, is not for us to know things. It's to tell you what the companies are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I, when I just like magically know, I'll just keep picking on Rivian. If I just like magically <laughs> know what Rivian is doing, you have no idea why I know this information. You have no idea where it came from. And if they have lied to me, I'm on the hook for it, and they are not. Right. Yeah. Which Full sucks. Disclosure, we're only picking on Rivian because they were earlier on the show. None of yeah, this yeah, has whatever. happened with Rivian. I, I'm trying to uh, – what's the what's the um, fake Contoso? Is that the fake company that Microsoft always uses? Like, yeah, Contoso. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fake Microsoft Whatever. Company. It doesn't matter. Any company you can think of. They all do it now. So a thing that has really happened with tech companies in particular is they tell everything to everyone on background, and they just everything. tell you this is true. Like all the time. And you're like, well, who said it? Is it real? Is it, it's you, you're saying it. And they're like, no, it's not background. So we just reset our policy to back where it was. Like, if you look at the replies to my tweet about this, there's like so many like grizzled old newspaper reporters who are like, well, those are, those have always been the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, great. I understand that those are, those are the rules in 1970 at your local paper when you were like beating down the doors of city hall here in 2021, the boundaries have actually moved for tech companies and the companies that cover them. And we're just resetting the boundaries to yes, where they were before, which is everything's on the record. And if you want to be on background, you have to ask us and we have to agree. Right. And I will tell you that like 
there's a bunch of stuff. There are a bunch of times when when Google actually we had a story yesterday where Netflix. I don't know if you saw this. Netflix is switching to AV1 as its codec. Oh, how did we not spend the entire Vergecast? We should have. So. Um, <laughs> Right. And so we were like, great, what what devices are going to use AV1? And they sent us the list. The list is hilarious. It's just like select 2020 8K TVs. And it's like, right. well, that's okay. not a list of supported devices. Select Amazon Fire devices. <laughs> cool. Looks Which like, ones? We'll just, anyway, so they sent us this list. We attributed the list to Netflix because all we need to do is tell people where the information is coming from. And now we've satisfied our responsibility. So we are happy to have this conversation. As long as at the end of it, we understand and can clearly communicate to our readers where the information that we're reporting is coming from. And that's all we want to do is say, here's the default. If you want to change the default, you have to ask us and we will have a conversation. Yeah. And by the way, ask us like that. Yeah. Just ask us. (laughs) And I just was not expecting it to blow. I mean, I. It was a little salty. The post is a little salty because I'm a little good. salty about the, it's. Yeah. We've been thinking about this, and I, Dieter, Dieter, and I've been talking about this for maybe a year. Mm-hmm. We've we've been talking about changing the policy for months, and what finally, after all of our ten year stuff, after this last cycle of reviews, our reporters are like, "Yeah, when are you rolling out this policy you've been talking about?" <laughs> like, because I'm, you know, when when you don't have a policy to point to, whenever anybody wants to push back, like I end up on the phone, right? Right? They're like, "My editor will talk to you." And so then I'm like, but we have this policy, we can't do it. And we keep having a conversation. Now it's just like written down. Everybody can just like tap the sign. You need to start see, like counting. If, see if it drops the number of calls you have to do, explaining <laughs> on background. We'll see. But like, yeah. our, the examples, like, you know, uh, the tech companies that email us their own website, like links to their own websites on background. It's like, guys, <laughs> like, what does this even mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've asked like. Are we, supp- are we supposed to not source your own website now? It's wild, like what people will just say on background in front of you. You'll ask a PR person, "Oh, did you see that movie last night?" On background, yes. Yeah, I wasn't going to report <laughs> like that you saw a movie. It's unrelated to this laptop we're discussing. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's just a little color. It's very inside baseball. All of it is pointed at two things. One, we want to be transparent in how we work. So now there's an explanation of how we work and how we're thinking about it. Two, this problem is out of control. So we wanted to give cover to other reporters in newsrooms to say they use the same policy as us, which, for example, our ethics policy, right? Our ethics policy, we lifted from all things D. We lifted from Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher. It was a model they had printed. They were super loud about their ethics policy. When we were starting out and we were new, we were like, we're going to use that one. So we hope people, you know, now we're 10 years old, we hope people can look at our policy and build on it and use it and refer to it and have it be a little bit of a standard. And third... Most importantly, we just want our readers to know where the information comes from. Mm-hmm. That's it. We, th- we think that's an important part of our job. And I have, I have told many PR people, because people say to me or other reporters, well, you'll look really smart if you just know this. No. And I'm like, no, I, 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 already, look, I already look so smart all the time. Like, <laughs> I don't need your help. Like, I just want to tell them where I came from. The other thing I'll connect it all to is... And Dieter, I know you have been thinking about this as much as I have. When people cheer for us because we say disclosure, right? Like, yeah, that's our brand is being transparent. Like, we believe in that. Like, that's who we are. We want you to know, like, here's where we're coming from. Here's what we believe. Here's how we do our work. And so we're just always going to hold the line on that. And sometimes, like this week, we're going to do it a little more loudly than, than not. 
more, a little more publicly than not, but just trust me, we're kind of always doing, <laughs> uh, it's always in the background. So that's the explanation. If you have more questions, you know, we'll do our best to explain ourselves because we believe in transparency. All right. That's it. I think that's it. That is the show. We've gone over. We've gone over. Just a little. Just a little bit. Thank you for listening. Dieter's got the Tuesday episodes. Yeah. Still, still something cool is happening. Really cool. Really cool subject. I see. All right. Yeah. That's what great. could it be? <laughs> Decoder this week was a CEO of Anchor, which was actually, you know, Anchor has a hundred people who just think about Amazon Marketplace all day long. It's 3% of the company. That's incredible. It's 3% of my brain too, but uh, it's amazing that they <laughs> hire so many. Uh, so Stephen Yang from Anchor. Next week, next week, it's Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. That conversation was wild. That was, it's a rocking one. So that's Decoder, Tuesday episodes. You can tweet at us. I'm Matt Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Sean is SOKane1. Correct. That's it. That's for the chest. Rock and roll. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.